is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi there, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 521, recorded Tuesday, March the 23rd, 2021. Nice. Lots of lots of 21s in there. Yeah. If we were playing blackjack, this would be great. Yeah, that, that's 21, right? You're supposed to get the 21 in blackjack? That's a thing. That That's correct, yeah. isn't it? Well, yeah, I assume so. <laughs> I played blackjack a grand total of like three times in my life. Uh, all three times were in Vegas, and I lost all three hands. Okay. Well, I've uh, I've been to Vegas, but I've never uh, gambled in that way. Like I I have been through the casino, but just to yep. get to the hotel room, right? I I've I've never really participated in the gambling stuff. I wasn't there for that, and I'm I'm not much of a gambler. Well, not I at all not a, gambler, much of a gambler. I guess. I got I decided to get forty dollars in chips. I went to a five dollar table. Uh, I lost. Uh, well, I got twenty dollars in chips. Sorry, there's only four chips. I lost three hands in a row, and I'm like, "Fuck it, I'm out of here." And I kept the five dollar chip. I still have it. It's in the archives somewhere. Oh, nice pile of boxes. Uh, that I wish I could just get my hands on it. But yeah, still have that five dollar chip from that wonderful three hands of blackjack. It's weird. I I find the whole thing a little intimidating. Like I I don't feel like I'd want to walk up to a table and sit down and do it. I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing. That's the main I mean one of the reasons I don't bother. Yeah, well that's why you stand there and watch for a while. Uh I assume I stood there for a long time trying to just watching how people did things. And I've uh-huh. seen blackjack on TV. Yeah. Right? But I don't trust that to be like real life. So anyways. No, but I'm, I'm sure if you do something wrong, the dealer will uh, tell you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and yeah. then take all your money away. Yeah. Worst case scenario, they just take all your money and uh, somebody takes you in the back room and beats the shit out of you and kicks you out the back door and says, don't come back. And throws you into a pile of garbage. That's, I mean, that's what I've learned from TV and movies. So exactly. that's what I'm yeah. worried about. Yeah. They break your legs, throw you in the garbage and away you go. And away you go. Just not very quickly. All right. Well, thank you for that, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We are here to recap the latest episode of The Walking Dead. And uh, we're going to do that in just a second because we already have the ratings in for this one, Jason. Wow. And they are not great. <laughs> Wait, do the rating, these ratings are, uh, again, we've talked about this so many times. You'd think that this kind of information would stick in my head. These are only the live ratings, right? They're not the AMC plus or whatever it is. Yes. Once again, it's just the number of people that watched it live on Sunday night on AMC, normal TV channel at 9 PM. So, yeah. So the fact that they're promoting a different way of getting this, uh, this television show early, uh, and trying to market it to their very audience, uh, that those the numbers are going down probably because of the success of AMC. What is it, AMC Plus? Yes, yes. I mean, they they could be for sure, but as a as a trend watching tool, that's why I stick to the same metric, right? Yeah. If we suddenly started including everything else, it would throw the trend off. So, um, this episode got two point one one million, which is a new low for the show since the beginning uh, and down a little bit from the week before, but, but you're right. I'm just, I stick to this so that we can, we can sort of follow the curve, right? Where as you know, maybe some of these people have jumped to AMC plus, maybe 
Some people have just fallen off. Maybe they're watching it in other ways. Who knows? But um, it would be interesting to look at what the total viewership is as AMC calculates it. But I don't know that that's available to anyone outside of the the head honcho boardrooms up in AMC no, Towers. It's a guarded AMC Towers. I'm just that's not a thing, is it? No, but they probably have some sort of like head office tower somewhere, right? Well, you shouldn't announce that kind of thing because then you get a diehard situation, <laughs> right? They got to be secretive about where they're located. Okay. And I was like, well, we were in a, a random office tower in Des Moines, Iowa, and there's uh, maybe seven different buildings where we're a disparate corporation don't come here okay well look i <laughs> i didn't give away any secrets i'm just okay. saying <laughs> so the reason i'm asking chris is that uh we're getting the uh, the ratings a lot quicker right usually we had to wait a couple of days before we got ratings but you seem to have the ratings every week which means either you were hiding them before or they're releasing them earlier and earlier well i do think they are coming out a little bit earlier actually because but i, I can't say that for sure. I used to not even bother checking for them until the Thursday night podcast. Right. But that was because they didn't really come out in time for Tuesday nights. Um, but now for some reason, I noticed that a couple Tuesdays in a row, they were there already. So now I've started looking and I just get to it earlier. Yeah. It, it, I guess it makes me think that there's some guy on the ninth floor of AMC tower that is just making these numbers up, right? It's like, Oh, it's gotta be down a little bit. So 2.11 million. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> he's the he's the rating maker upper guy. That's his whole job. Well, if you know, if there is a guy that is responsible for compiling all the ratings and putting it on reports, why wouldn't he make it up? Right? I mean, that's uh, that's eight hours he could have saved that day of compiling information, uh, where now he can uh, he can play video games for those seven and a half hours, and then all he has to do is uh, while he's playing the video games, he makes up random. Uh, ratings and writes them down and everybody goes, Hey, that's great with these numbers for AMC plus and iTunes and all these other streaming services and all this kind of stuff. These numbers are actually right on the money. That's exactly what we uh, predicted the trend to be. All this right. guy's going, yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. Send well, me my money. Well, I commend Bob in the ratings department for the bang up job he's doing, making this shit up. It wouldn't be the first time that that kind of thing happened. <laughs> no, that's true. There's people that, uh, you know, they outsource their own job. I've heard of They're that. Programmers that, uh, you know, hire, an out, uh, hire a subcontractor and send out the job, get it back, submit it. Oh, done. Done I and I done. I would have thought of that. Yeah, really. All right. Well, again, thank you, Bob, for making up the ratings. But 2.11, it's down and we'll see where it goes next week. All right, Bob, Bob if you ever want to come up. on the show, let me know. You're welcome. Yeah, from the ninth floor of AMC Towers. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's get into it, Jason. We're here to talk about season 10, episode 20. Ow, splinter. Mm. Mom, I got another splinter. Oh, 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 I've got a splinter. Splinter. Thank you so much to Happy Jack in Victoria, Laura in Buffalo, New York, Daniel in Worcestershire, England, and Lockie in Australia. I think I may have messed up, Daniel, your place. Worcestershire? Oh, it's a hard one. Worcestershire? I think I've said it before successfully, but for some reason... I recognize the name. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. It's just not coming to me today, but uh, thank you to all you guys for your title reads. Those were wonderful. Most of them revolved around the 
ouch, I got a splinter kind of motif. Yeah, there was lots of acting in there. It was good. It was very, very good. All right, let's get started. So this episode, Jason, is about Princess Ezekiel, Eugene, and Yumiko, who we last saw being surrounded by stormtrooper-like soldiers in white armor with guns pointed at them. That opening shot of the guy in the white mask and the goggles. Yes. I'm like, am I? my first thought was, am I watching the right show here? And I had to do a double take. I'm like, oh yeah, the stormtrooper guys. So you didn't know we were getting back to these characters before no, you No, I had off. no idea. And it was, it was a bit jarring, but it took me about half a second to get on board, but I, I thought I was watching the wrong show. Right. Well, you're not. We pick up pretty much where we left off with this group. Um, you know, as I said, they're surrounded by these soldiers. They start rather roughly grabbing and separating them. Princess goes for a knife, I think, on one of their belts, but she misses. They rough her up a little bit. And we see Yumiko take kind of a worse beating, including a butt end to the face, it looks like. Yeah, that's a really bad thing to happen. That doesn't just cause a bruise, right? That's like major structural damage. Uh, that's broken nose, broken jaw, lost teeth, like really badly, probably like eye pops out. Like that's really, really bad to take something that hard right in the face. Yeah, that's not a, you know, he, there's that trope of uh, getting hit in the head is the magic lights out button for humans, right? As soon as you clonk them on the head, they're, they're out. And that's not, that's not a true thing. But uh, rifle butt to the face is it, is it the very, very minimum attempted murder? Because it is meant to kill people. Oof. That's the whole point of that. It's not just to hit the magic turn off button for humans. It's death. So yeah. it, anyway. That's right. It's not a, it's not something you do. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not going to, uh, just put somebody down and have with minor yeah. injuries. Right. And sort yeah, of. Yeah. You don't rifle butt them to the, to the face to get control of them. Right. You rifle butt them to the face in order to take them out. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. You don't yeah. do that. Well, this happens to Yumiko. At least it sure looks like it from our perspective. Um, princess screams for them not to hurt her and she gets thrown into one of the nearby train cars and locked in. And while she's there, she appears to hear the others saying things like, we mean no harm, we made a mistake, stuff like that. And by others, I mean, you know, her, her friends. And she's in there alone, and we go to the opening credits. Yeah. So when we come back, we're still with Princess in the train car. It's dark. She tries the door. Uh, she gets some, like, flashes back to the soldiers, beating them up and separating them. She hears her friend's voices again. She starts counting the steps uh, of the, to, I guess, I was thinking to sort of measure the yep. size of the inside of the train car, how many paces it was across and things like that. So I'm going to put another movie on your list okay. and another movie that they've ripped off. Wow. Uh, okay. Papillon with- uh, Oh, Steve uh, McQueen? Steve McQueen. Yeah. And uh, Dustin Hoffman. Right. Okay. A, one of my favorite movies. Love that movie. I uh, have ever since I first saw it when I was a kid. Um, same with, uh, well, I, anyway, Towering Inferno, which was on FilmSack this week. Uh -huh. I was very excited when they announced that, and I just watched it recently in order to listen to FilmSack, because I do that every now and again. Anyway, uh, Papillon is a fantastic movie. They've done a remake. It's on Netflix. I refuse to watch it because, you know, 
I love Papillon so much. But one of the things uh, that Steve McQueen does is he paces his cell on a regular basis and mumbles to himself in order to try and keep himself sane. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is, in my mind, was a direct ripoff of another 70s classic movie. This doesn't feel like as much of a direct ripoff, though. I mean, this seems like the kind of thing that I've seen before, for sure, and more than just that. But also, it seems like the kind of thing that someone would actually do in this situation, right? So maybe it, maybe this one's a little more influenced by than ripped off directly. Uh, I'll I'll lean towards that. I'm I kind of agree with you. I was a little disappointed to see this again, uh-huh. like, so blatantly, so soon. So well, yeah. Anyway, somebody's been watching classic '70s movies. Okay, well, that's I mean that's not a bad thing, really. You no, know, to be influenced by that stuff. Anyways, she's counting the steps. She's also naming off state capitals in alphabetical order. And I just made a note here because we're also seeing these flashing visions of them you know being roughed up just a short time ago she's trying to like you said keep herself sane sort of block that out a little bit distract her her mind from yeah focusing on what she just went through keep keeping her mind active mm-hmm. yeah exactly so princess notices a kind of larger crack in one side of the train car she goes over, starts to pull at the wood, and ends up getting a really bad big splinter in her finger. <laughs> well, that was quick. There you go. To get to the movie or the show title right away. Right away. No time wasted. And she starts talking through the, the crack to Yumiko, who apparently is in the next train car. Now, she can't see her. She can only talk to her. Yeah. And it sounds like Yumiko is injured because, as we know, she took the butt end of a rifle in the face. But she says she's fine. Princess insists on helping her, but Yumiko just wants to keep talking. So Princess tells her this story about being 14 years old, getting hurt, staying home from school. Um, At least the story starts there, and it kind of ends up revealing that she had a stepfather who was physically abusive to her, and her mom didn't really stand up for her or do anything to her. So she had a bit of a troubled childhood, at least in that respect. Yeah. Which is what we uh, find out through her story. And throughout the story, she keeps asking if Yumiko is okay or if she's still there. And uh, she is for the most of it. She responds and says, yeah, I'm still here. Everything's, you know, okay. But towards the end, Princess hears a thump as if she collapses to the ground. And then apparently soldiers come in and drag her body out. But Princess can't see any of this. And she's yelling at them. She can't get an answer. And so she goes back to naming state capitals. She's kind of reverting back into the uh, traumatized state, which she was able to manage a little bit through her conversation with Yumiko, I think. Yeah. And I was quite impressed with the ability to, uh, to, to rattle off state capitals. Obviously, I couldn't, I barely recognized state capitals Carson City that one I kind of got uh Carson but, City that's the one you got like I know Albany is the capital of New York <laughs> we, <laughs> we live right next door to New York come on Alaska right Alaska is a state <laughs> I know but Carson City is the capital of Alaska well I I would have guessed Anchorage to be honest but I don't think it is Oh, well then, yeah, see, obviously my geography of the U.S. is off. I'm not sure I could do this for provincial capitals 
uh, I probably could. Like, there's no reason why I I couldn't. But when we get to the East Coast, I get I get rattled. Well, yeah, I think I can do most of the Canadian provincial capitals, but there's a couple that I'm sure I'm. I at least I'm not sure of, right? Yeah. So exactly. But but I think state capitals is something kids in the U.S. learn in school. We have well, I have a neighbor who who lived in the states for two years, and their daughter went to school down there, and I'm pretty sure there was a song she learned was like a mnemonic song to remember all the state capitals. Okay. I, well, I do remember attempting to learn the provincial state or yeah, the provincial state capitals, provincial <laughs> capitals. Uh, <laughs> obviously geography is not my strong suit. Yeah. But uh, on the plus side, my geography teacher that was uh, teaching us this kind of stuff, uh, he looked like Fred Flintstone, he had a really big head. Well, no wonder you didn't focus on anything else. <laughs> it was tough. It was tough. <laughs> I bet. Anyways, Princess is able to do this. She's naming the capitals and it's uh, trying to keep her mind occupied. Yeah. So we go to a commercial break and when we return, it's daytime now. So the sun has come up. We watch a couple of soldiers patrolling past the train cars and one of them says, I don't know about you, but I've never seen one turn that fast. Sort of soldier small talk, I guess. I don't know. But also an interesting line. Like here we are. 10 years into the apocalypse and they're still talking about humans turning that fast, I guess. No, not at, I didn't catch it that it was uh, turning that fast uh, as in dead, uh, turning that fast as in confessing, giving up information. That's what I got from that was they took Yumiko uh, out of the train car and questioned her and she uh, confessed everything. That's what I got from that. At that moment, that's what you took from that. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, I didn't take from that. We haven't, at this point in the episode, I didn't, I don't feel like I had enough information to, to make that assumption. My assumption was- Well, why else would they take her out of the train car? Okay. Well, spoiler alert, but I don't think she was ever in the train car, Jason. No, the other, the other, uh, I, anyway, I just, I thought it was, uh. I didn't think it was turn. I didn't think they would kill her, so I didn't think that that turned meant uh, uh, turning into a zombie. Okay, well, I agree with you that it may not. Uh, now, I, I thought they were just talking about human dying turning into a zombie. But I understand the use of the word turn might mean, you know, yeah, someone buckled turn under go. the... Yeah, or buckled under the, uh, the pressure of the interrogation that we see later. But... Talking about Yumiko being in that train car. Oh, a different and, train car. And her taking the her taking her out. Like, I don't think she was ever there. You know? Not in the, not in the same one as Princess, but I thought she was in a different one. Well, she might have been in a different one, but what I'm trying to say is Princess was never actually speaking to her. Yes, and that I'll get to that in a second. I didn't clue in on that quite yet. Right, okay. So uh, I was still thinking reality and that Yumiko was in a different train car and she was taken away and... Uh, turned the next morning, the, the guard says turned, I'm thinking confessed. Right. Okay. Sorry. I, that's what I meant a second ago when like at this point in the episode, I can, I can get on board with having that, uh, interpretation of it. Right. But by the end of the episode. No. And yeah. the, the first indication of that was, uh, probably the next line that you have, uh, as a recap. Uh, where am I in the next line? Uh, yo, so we see the soldiers inside, inside the pr- princess's train car. She tries to see if Yumiko is back and she's not. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. 
And then she turns around and notices a board nailed to the other end of the train car. She pulls it off and lo and behold, there's a hole big enough for her to get in and out of. Yeah. That, this is when I thought, okay, this whole thing's a fantasy. Because she said, oh, right? Like mm-hmm. she just noticed it, which is fine, except that she probably didn't sleep a whole lot that, that night. But uh, just noticing something that is, uh, you know, a magic door outside of her confinement, which she was so stressed about being in uh, a few moments ago uh, for us, uh, made me think, oh, fantasy. She's, this whole thing is a fantasy. And then it just got, it compounded from there. Right. So, so I didn't realize it yet at this point. I thought that maybe, you know, it, it was daytime now before it was night. So it was extra dark. You might not see, it would have been pitch black in that car, train car, right? You wouldn't have seen everything. Uh, like you wouldn't have seen that board on the lower corner of the wall there. So I could sort of believe that. And she didn't notice it until this point. And now here we are and she's able to, to get out. So So let me ask you a question about that board then. So if uh you were going to put somebody in a prison, in a train car, that was, uh, ideally, secure and it had a giant hole in it would you nail an old piece of plywood with like half inch nails into that thing or would you like put in a board and then put in actual bolts uh you know that couldn't be pried off by someone with with bare hands yeah i mean at the very least use screws because they don't just pull out right yes yeah i mean yeah it's uh so the security of that board was in question enough for me to think that that can't be real. These guys are not idiots. They're wearing stormtrooper armor for crying out loud. And they're using these train cars as prisons. They would make the prisons secure. I, I agree they would. I have to believe that maybe they didn't know. Maybe this is the first time they've held people in these train cars. And they didn't know that this one had the entry hole. Or exit hole. Uh, okay, well... They don't have to be complete idiots for this to happen. Fair enough. Well, but let's, let's get through some more of this. And I think there's a discussion to be had on what's real and and what's not. But anyways, princess goes, uh, she pulls the board off, she gets out the board and in the very next train car is Eugene. And she's able to talk to him through like a face high grate in that, Uh uh, in that train car. They talk about Princess wanting to break him out, but he refuses. And she says they got to help Yumiko. She's hurt. But Eugene's position is that it's best to stay put, do what they say. And he basically says, we need to present ourselves as worthy of an allegiance. Let's just play along for now and show them that we're good, nice people. Yeah. Uh, Yumiko at one point has to shimmy around the back of the train car to avoid being seen by a couple of the soldiers patrolling. And then when she comes back around, um, she appears to start to agree with Eugene because she goes back into her train car. Mm -hmm. Well, that's nice. It is. This I I believed. You know, the getting out, I didn't believe, but there was nothing about this conversation or situation with Eugene that uh, took me right out of the realm of possibility. No, I agree with that. I still hadn't come to the realization that this, uh, that much of what we were seeing was in Princess's head because, as you said, this conversation didn't jump out at me as especially unusual. Eugene was talking the way Eugene talks. Yeah. And the 
the points he was making, I feel like were valid, especially considering the reasons they were there, right? If you recall, their whole reasons for traveling here was because Eugene wants to meet Stephanie. They made this, ar this arrangement and he still doesn't want to screw that up. So I felt like Eugene was legitimately trying to not rock the boat and do what they said so that his basically his overall plan could could continue right yep so i agree with you it makes sense that he said what he said now at the end of it all I, sort of thinking back i'm like i have a feeling that they intended that to be a an imaginary conversation as well it just wasn't as blatant to us the audience well if the door if the hole is imaginary then the conversation must have been must have been you're right uh, okay. So she's back. Princess is back in her train car. A soldier comes in. He tells her to come with him. We cut to her naked, having been showered. And one of these guys is inspecting her apparently for bites, mm -hmm. I guess. That makes sense. We cut into a room. She's being interrogated now. Um, she's sitting across the table from this shadowy man who wants to know things like her name, age, where she's from. He wants information about her friends, why, why they came there, all that kind of stuff. And princess just basically keeps responding that she wants to know if Yumiko is okay. She doesn't really answer any of his questions, kind of goes back and forth like this for a little bit until he eventually gets frustrated. She gets a little bit shouty. And they both stand up and he punches her down onto the ground. Yeah. That's a very bad way to get somebody to cooperate, cooperate, cooperate with you. Mm -hmm. uh, especially if they're, if Eugene's right, even though it's an imaginary conversation, if Eugene's right, that they want to be uh, worthy of allegiance. And these group of people uh, in stormtrooper armor are trying to find out if they're worthy of allegiance. Punching somebody in the face during a conversation is not a great way to build trust. Nope. Nope. So, not really? Yeah. Anyway, I think they're doing a piss poor job of uh, building trust. Yeah. If that's what they're trying to do. I, I, I found this whole scene a little bit troublesome too. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the punch across the face is, is one thing, but just the way that guy was sitting there with his face in shadow, it, it felt so kind of mustache twirly evil villain ridiculous, to be honest, in my opinion. Yeah. And they're interrogating her in the shower room. Yeah. They're in the shower, in the bathroom there. Yeah. This, this also makes me think they don't do this very often or they don't do this here and they're just using the facilities they have available to them. But the way it was set up, the way it was shot, and that guy in the shadows—like, why are they hiding him? Why are they hiding his face? I don't, I don't get it. It didn't, it didn't add anything to it. It just made it, in my opinion, seem a little ridiculous. Well, um, to be fair, this was the grossest, dirtiest shower room I've ever seen in my whole life. Uh, and if I had to spend any any time in this room whatsoever, I'd turn the lights down too. Because <laughs> yeah, I guess you just don't want to see what you're sitting on. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to see it. Well, I think it was just them trying to be sort of moody with it all and mysterious about it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that guy doing the interrogating, I don't know who the actor is. I didn't look him up. Maybe I'll do that later. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if that character reappears on the show. When, when we get back to the actual storyline of what's going on with these soldiers and 
you know, what they're doing to our four characters here. I'll bet you he comes back. I'll bet you he sticks around. So I don't know. Maybe they were just trying to. It's not like we couldn't see him, but maybe they were trying to hold the surprise a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. Adding to the mystery. Yeah. Adding to the mystery for no reason, I thought. Anyways, we take a break. And when we come back, we are um, back in the train car. She checks the crack again, I guess, for Yumiko. She's not there. And Princess starts talking about what happened in the interrogation room. Mm -hmm. She hears something suddenly, goes back to the hole on the other side and steps out. Eugene is gone now, or at least not at his talking great. Uh, but inside his train car, she sees a broken zip tie. So who knows what happened in there? She avoids the soldiers again and then returns back through the hole into her train car. Mm -hmm. Safe at home again. Safe at home. Exactly. She starts flashing back to the initial beating once again. And then suddenly who drops through the port in the ceiling? But Ezekiel. Sudden Ezekiel. Sudden Ezekiel. What did this remind you of? Um, I don't know. I don't know if it reminded me anything specifically, but once they started having this conversation, this is when I'm like, okay, episode, I see what you're doing here. Something is off because Ezekiel is not behaving the way I know this character to behave. But before we get right. to that, what did it remind you of? Uh, George Clooney showing up in Gravity. When uh, Sandra oh. Bullock was in the uh, in the spacecraft and she didn't right. know what she was doing, <laughs> all of a sudden the fucking door opens and in comes George Clooney and he sits down and closes the door and starts looking for a bottle of booze. Right, she's like, oh, like that just came out of left field in gravity. It's just like, what that, what what that can't that, happen. That can't happen and yep. it turned out to be imaginary. This is exactly the same thing, right? She's in her, uh, you know, in, in her train car, captive. All of a sudden, door opens. Uh, and in comes the, in comes the savior and away they go. Mm -hmm. and, and he even, when he drops in, he even says, I had to make some epic maneuvering to get in here that I may have been seen. And, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Ezekiel would, wouldn't say that. That just doesn't sound like him. Uh, but he goes on, he says he was in, in, in an interview as well because he's all wet. Doesn't look wet to me, but Hey, whatever. Uh, he wants to leave and kind of escape. But Princess says she was uncooperative in the interview and that, you know, she thinks it's better to stay put now and, and wait so they can help the rest of their friends. Um, she tries to show him where the guy smacked her across the face in the interview, but there's no real sign of an injury there, in my opinion. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. But the one scene I thought was actually not imaginary in this episode so far was the interrogation. But I'm no longer convinced because it doesn't seem like she has any injury from that punch. And the, the interrogation ended in a very oddly parallel way to her story that she was telling about her stepfather. Oh, it's true. Yeah. So the, the parallel I saw there, I was like, well, because I, I initially I thought that that was real as well. Like, yes, okay, the uh, get escaping imaginary, uh, and later on Eugene 
uh, sorry, not Eugene, um, Ezekiel imaginary, but I thought that the interrogation was real. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it ended in exactly the same way as her, her story earlier. And I'm like, I'm not really sure what's real as far as that goes. You know what? That's a really good point that I hadn't thought of. It makes me think now that, in fact, the interrogation wasn't real. Now, I think we can question that again at the very end of the episode, but we'll, we'll get there in a second. As Princess and Ezekiel are talking, he gets a little frustrated and he refers to the others as my friends, as if they're more important to him than to her. This upsets her because it seems like all Princess wants is some friends. And, and we could, I could have told you that based on the other couple of episodes she's been in since we met, yeah. met her, right? That's, she just wants some company and she wants some people to, to travel with. Um, so Ezekiel does this and then he apologizes for implying that they're more important. They sit down and wonder that if Eugene trusted the wrong people this time in the fact that he led them to these funny white soldiers. And again, you have to remember that they were coming to meet his girlfriend, Stephanie. So this is kind of all Eugene's fault. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, really, what's not Eugene's fault? Well, not For everything. a long time now. <laughs> well, over the years, plenty has been his fault, but. Exactly. Know, yeah. What are you going to do? While they're sitting there, one of the soldiers comes in with a tray of food. Princess tries to be nice to him because she's taken the Eugene approach, apparently. But suddenly, out of nowhere, Ezekiel punches him down and closes the train door. So, yeah, and again, the uh, the soldier, even though he's wearing uh, body armor, has uh, an instant off button when he gets hit. Yeah, he just gets he gets nailed. I don't think he's ever unconscious, though. But still, it's you know he's incapacitated immediately after being hit. He is for sure, even though he's wearing armor. <laughs> yeah. And if you didn't know that this was imaginary by now, I mean, the fact that Ezekiel was able to sneak up on this guy and punch him down after, you know, <laughs> after standing there, apparently in plain view in yeah. the train car, uh, you know, I don't know. I was, I was, I wasn't, I mean, I, the first watch through, I can't say I was a hundred percent positive in my mind that this was all made up. I just thought, oh my God, they're ruining King Ezekiel in this scene. But then this happened and I was, I was enraged for a second by like, <laughs> how could they, how could they do this? Like, how can they expect us to believe that he like went invisible and then came out of nowhere and punched this guy? So. Oh, uh, this was after the line, uh, nobody's going to hurt you again. Not that, not now that I'm here. Yeah. Right. Obviously he's an imaginary friend in, or it has shown up magically to protect her. Right. It, it, it all comes together by, by the end and, and on my second viewing, of course, because I knew what to expect. But in the moment, I'm like, oh my God, what are they doing? What are they doing? Yeah. Anyways, commercial break. Uh, we return and Ezekiel says, you know, the opportunity presented itself to take this guy out. He handcuffs him and then they try to interrogate him about what's going on, what's happened to their friends and so on. The guy claims, the soldier, I mean, claims that they are nice people. They are organized. They can help them. He calls what they're doing standard protocol. They do it to keep the many, many people they live with safe, right? They're just kind of assessing new people that they've found. Yeah, it's not my fault. I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm just a soldier. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I can justify all the atrocities, atrocities that I'm committing just in order to, uh, by I'm justifying it to protect other people. It's, you know, complete bullshit. Yeah, totally. But you're right. He claims that he's just a grunt that doesn't know anything. He calls himself a rookie, says the rifle isn't even loaded. I'm like, come on. <laughs> you well, know, the rifle's probably not loaded, but that's only in retrospect. Yeah, maybe not, but it seems like a weird thing to say. But Ezekiel gets really pissed off, knocks him down, and starts to strangle him. He starts beating the ever-loving shit out of the guy, screaming, nobody's going to hurt me anymore. Right. And suddenly Ezekiel is gone and it is revealed to us that princess was beating him the whole time. And in fact, none of the conversation with any of them was real. Yeah. So there you go. It's fully confirmed at this point. So this guard Mm -hmm. came into this, uh, okay. On its face that we now know that Ezekiel is not really there. So what we're expected to believe at this point is that this guard came into this cell uh, armed and armored alone and was completely overtaken by one prisoner and, you know, had the living shit beat out of him and his weapon taken away. I mean, it's not the hardest thing to believe. It's, it the, makes him a bad soldier and it makes them a poor military to have one guy go alone. Yeah, you don't let people swim alone. You don't let guards go into prisoner cells alone. Yeah, I know. But if it's, if, it's if, the buddy system, you have to have the buddy system. I agree. hundred percent agree. It makes the, it makes this group of soldiers look like morons. But if it did play out that way, I guess I can believe that one prisoner can take out one guard. Like one-on-one, anything can happen. I suppose so, but that's... Yeah, that's it's dumb. the dumbest, dumbest guard ever. But <laughs> um, I did not question the, that in the moment. You know, it's only in retrospect based on information we're going to get in the future that we can say that this is completely unbelievable and that's on purpose. Uh, but in the moment, we're expected to believe that this one rookie guard was completely overtaken by uh, one prisoner, even though he had a, had a weapon and was wearing body armor. Right. Which is better, looks better than riot armor, right? Like the riot armor that they had, which is why we call Eugene the Armored Pierogi. Remember that good old stuff? Oh, good old Armored Pierogi, yeah. Yeah, so it's better than that stuff, right? Oh, yeah, The whole totally. point of this, this is not... Um, this body armor, if we can talk about it for a second, this body armor is not meant to stop bullets, right? It's not uh, ballistic armor. It's impact armor. It's meant to protect yourself against somebody who comes at you with a club or a knife or with their fists or with some kind of, uh, you know, melee weapon, mm-hmm. not a firearm necessarily. They might be wearing uh, ballistic armor underneath, but this is impact armor. This is riot armor that they're wearing. So, uh, the whole point of it is to protect them from people that punch them in the face. Right. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) it seems to be completely ineffective, which means, which tells me it's a costume and makes me question the actual, the entire structure of this organization, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but it seems like they're wearing costumes for some reason. It's, it's, it's the difference between... Stormtroopers, you know, in the uh, in the Star Wars universe, and 
stormtrooper cosplay people that wear the, you know, it may be completely identical, but one's actual armor, fictional, but actual armor. And another one is a uh, costume yeah. of armor. Yeah, like, yeah. Storm, people that go to uh, cosplay or go, go to Comic-Con dressed as stormtroopers, you know, if you get into a fight with them, that armor is not going to protect you a whole lot. In fact, unless you take the helmet off, you are fucked. Because you can't see right? anything. You can't see shit. <laughs> <laughs> I assume I've never worn a stormtrooper helmet. Yeah, that doesn't prevent me from wanting a full stormtrooper armor, like an authentic stormtrooper armor costume. I would love to have that. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So I agree with you in that regard, but I don't think I'd, nobody wants to see me wear it. <laughs> I'd put it on a mannequin in the corner, much like Barney from uh, uh, How You Met Your Mother. He had the stormtrooper armor on a mannequin. Yeah. I mean, sure, it ended up being worn, but can you imagine what I would look like wearing stormtrooper armor? I try not to. Actually, that might be funny. There's probably lots of people out there that have like uh, plus sized stormtrooper <laughs> armor walking around because they have those belly armors that uh, that. Uh, the booth babes wear right with right. the stormtrooper armor with the that looks skimpy. Yeah, they have that stuff. So if you go completely in the other direction, where they have uh, you know a custom fitted suit of armor that would fit someone like me, that'd be funny. Well, hey, go for it, man. <laughs> go for it. And just a reminder to everyone out there listening, Jason has not read the comics past issue one hundred. So no. I know more about these these soldiers than he does. But at this point, I appreciate the uh, fact that sort of I have an idea of what's going on and he doesn't. And I really enjoy getting your your take on things like this. Right. Having having no concept of where things are going or who these people are. Right. So I'm going to keep it that way until okay. it's until I, all I, is revealed in the show. Yeah. I don't know if I'm right. I'm, I may not be. I Or it just might be a different take on what is real. Yeah. Much like the whispers that, you know, well, they're supposed to be these bad guys, but they just were laughable to me. That's the same thing. Exactly. You didn't know anything about them and you had to just make your judgments based on what you saw on the show. And I thought that was a, a great way to do it. So we're in the same situation here with, with these guys. Yeah. All right. Uh, we take a break and when we come back from the commercial, we have princess running outside the train car. She comes to a fence. She starts to slide under it, but the big gun that she took off of the soldier gets stuck and she backs up. She kind of questions to herself about running away. She turns to go back. And now all of a sudden Ezekiel is outside that fence, standing there with a couple of zombies and he's trying to convince her to leave. Yeah. Uh, and what we have here kind of is, do you remember in old cartoons, Jason, you used to get a character who was trying to make a decision or was in a scenario where they could do one of two different things and they'd have a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. We've yeah. kind of got princess struggling with her own conscience here. And Ezekiel is one of one side of her conscious appearing before her and trying to get her to, to go one way. Mm -hmm. She decides not to run away though. And she turns back towards the train car. So, you know, Ezekiel couldn't convince her to just take off and leave the people there. Yeah, I guess she's, uh, she's shouting down her better angels. Right. Back inside the train car, she, the soldier is still lying there. So this I thought was one of the dumbest scenes in my opinion. Like she leaves, she physically leaves. 
He's uh-huh. not unconscious. He's only handcuffed. His legs are, aren't bound yet. He just lies there on the ground. It, it made no sense to me. I'm like, he wouldn't get up and like, at least try to run away or call for his buddies or something. It seems so stupid. Well, yes and no. Again, based on uh, the fact that I thought that this guy was real, right? And I still think that he's real. Um, well, wait, this guy is real. And that's what I'm yes. saying. Like he, he's, he's not imagined from Princess's perspective. I just no, can't believe that she would leave him there alone and he wouldn't get up and leave. <laughs> yes, but his justification is uh, that he gives later kind of leads credence to this, right? I can't, I can't admit that I let this happen. So him lying on the floor there is him freaking out going, I can't call for help. If I call for help, I somebody took my weapon and bested me in this situation. I can't, I can't do that. And he's trying to figure this out and he's basically become uh, completely unable to do anything. And right. she was only gone for 30, 45 seconds, right? Like she wasn't gone very long, I assume. Maybe a little longer, but you're right. Could have been not very long. And and you're also right that he kind of justifies it later. But again, in the moment, I'm like, what? He's just lying there. It's like he was taking a nap and I didn't get it. Oh, you know, and <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a very typical thing for a soldier to do, uh, you know, as, as a soldier, you learn kind of quickly that, uh, whenever the opportunity strikes, you take a nap. Like, don't, it doesn't matter. You could be lying in your own feces for crying out loud. If, if nobody's telling you to do something, you sleep. Because you might not, you don't know when the next time you might get a chance to is. That, yeah, that's probably, that might be your last chance. So take, when in doubt, take a nap. Okay, well, maybe he <laughs> so was... even if he's lying on the floor there, handcuffed, I don't know what to do. You know what? I'm tired. I'll just go to sleep for a minute and then I'll figure it out. There's no harm, right? Uh, she's gone. I'm just lying here. I might as well get some shut eye before I have to face this bullshit. Okay. Well, that's what he did. I guess he took a nap, but princess comes back. She tries, you know, she talks to him some more. She tries to explain that she's not crazy, except that she suffers from a bunch of conditions like ADHD, PTSD, and so on. And he asks to be unhandcuffed, which she does. And in the process of unhandcuffing him, the big splinter comes out of her finger, which I'd sort of forgotten about at this point. So I assume the splinter was real. Yes, the splinter was real, I think. She did, in fact, dig at that crack in the wood at the beginning of the episode and get a splinter. Or was it, uh, now that I'm saying that, I'm thinking, what could this be a metaphor for? And uh, maybe it's a metaphor for uh, her feeling helpless, right? She's, she's in the train car. She feels helpless. She gets a splinter. The splinter is some kind of bad feeling of being helpless. And the splinter finally comes out when she decides to do the right thing and to, uh, you know, to actually help this guy instead of being helpless. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting take. You know, she. I'm reaching. I'm no. reaching. But. That's, uh, you know, if everything else is imaginary, you got to make everything imaginary, right? Somehow. Or she kind of gets it together at this point, right? She gets the splinter. That's where things go a little off the rails for her <laughs> in, a, in a train car, no pun intended. Oh, it was a crazy splinter. Right. And so now that okay. once it comes out, this is where she's kind of got her, 
her act together now at this point, right? And I think I think you might be onto something there. It's okay. it's framing the like I don't want to call her crazy for for reasons I'll explain, but I it's framing the part where she's struggling the most to, to out deal, of control to deal with all of this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. So the splinter comes out. The soldier stands up. They are relatively friendly now. He's saying things like he'll be in trouble, but it'll be worse for her, which feels like a really real thing to say, in my opinion. Um, she suggests that if he, if she answers the questions that the interrogator wanted to know earlier, maybe she can see her friends. And he doesn't promise anything, but he does say that's how it works. That's what my boss said. Yep. So she goes on to say that they only met a week ago. She doesn't know where they're from, um, but they are her friends. She reveals all of their names to this guy. He thanks her. He asks for the rifle back and she gives it to him. I thought for sure he was going to shoot her at this point. Oh yeah. I, I was almost 90% positive that uh, if he was really there to do, to take her away or to do whatever, and he got bested and he felt ashamed of that, uh, the only way I was thinking that he could redeem himself was to kill her. That way only his story survives. Right. Right. So he can say, oh yeah, she tried to jump me. She, we had a scuffle and I had to shoot her kind of thing. Whereas she won't have an opposing story of, I beat him up and left him and then tried to save him and then all this other information. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking that if he was really there to achieve uh, or to, to do something with her, take her away or what have you, bring her food, I'm not sure. But, uh, I thought I was 90% sure that she was about to leave the show. Yeah, I I mean, I kind of knew that I, I didn't really think that was going to happen, but I can see, I can see why you would feel that way. And while you were talking, I just had another thought. Maybe she never left the train car at all, right? And that's why he was lying there on the ground. Maybe the entire conversation with Ezekiel at the gate was right. in her mind and she never left that train car. So he never actually had an opportunity to get up and run away or make noise or whatever. Oh, yeah, because as soon as she comes back, the first thing he says is, who are you talking to now? Does he say that at that point? <laughs> he does. Yeah. Okay, so she never left the train car. It was just it was just the way we or she perceived it, probably ah. to mix things up a little bit, and frankly, to get a couple zombies on the show, because that was the only scene with any <laughs> undead. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. So that, I think that explains it. Um, that's That's good. Anyways, we're almost at the end here. So she gives him back the rifle. He, he starts putting his helmet back on. He says something like, see, that wasn't so hard. The rules are simple and the questions are routine. We just needed to know you could play ball with us. Which is a funny thing to say. Princess wants to see her friends. He says she can see them right now. And he bangs on the train car door and yells, I got her. Let's go. The door slides open. Outside are the other three characters, Ezekiel, Eugene, and Yumiko, with hoods, black hoods over their heads, zip-tied wrists, and other soldiers standing around. Suddenly, a hood goes over Princess's head, and she, sell, she yells, wait! And it's the end. Right. And if she had gone out of the train car, they would have those seen people her. would have been out there, yeah. yeah. They would have seen her, and she would have seen them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. I, 
I gotcha. It, it's, it's coming together. It works. Um, and that's the episode right there. So that guy, that soldier in that train car, it was all an act the whole time. He was in there trying to extract the information from her by pretending to be her friend. And then at the end, that was revealed when everyone else had hoods over their heads and one goes over her and she realizes she's been duped. Right. And that explains why he doesn't go anywhere because she never went anywhere. So where is he going to go? Well, exactly. But I, I was thinking that even if she had gone somewhere, he was, I mean, maybe it still doesn't make sense, but he was sort of waiting for her to come back. But how would he know she was going to come back? So she never left the car. It's clear to me now. Right. Uh, I have just one holy crap here and it kind of uh, sums up the whole thing. But Happy Jack wrote in, holy crap, nothing died. <laughs> <laughs> no people died. No zombies were killed. Uh, yep. you know, a splinter died. Maybe it stuck in and came out. Yeah. Mm, well, uh, the guard there got the shit kicked out of him. What was his goal going in there? Okay. So now we have all this information, this guard or this soldier, I'm not sure if they're guards or soldiers, but either way, he goes into this train car in order to befriend this prisoner. Was his goal to get the shit kicked out of him? Or was it just to go in there and talk? No, his goal was to get the information out of her. Now, I don't, I'm still not sure whether the interrogation scene was real or not. On one hand, I feel like it's the one scene that could be. Yeah. Uh, right. The, and, and if the interrogation scene failed, an alternate plan was created by these soldiers in white to, um, to send a guy in to try and get the information in a more sort of underhanded way. Yeah. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah. I pretty much. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know that whole interrogation could have been completely in her head as well. Seeing as Ezekiel was, you know, he, he said he was interrogated too. But again, if she was making all that up, it would make sense for her to assume that all of them were interrogated. So well, you I, said she couldn't find the bruise where he hit her, where that, that interrogator hit her, right? Yeah. I didn't see any bruise. She mentioned something about him hitting her where she had an old fracture. So it kind of hurts and it's happened before, but yeah. you would think there would be some mark, some even read a little bit, but I didn't see anything. Well, that's definitely the parallel with her stepfather. It, right? it is definitely the parallel. So yeah, I'm, I'm starting I'm to think. Yeah. I'm talking it up to imaginary. I think so too. I think so too. So really nothing we saw was, was real until, well, the soldier coming in was real and the final shot of them opening the train car was, was real. Yeah. But I, I still don't understand his plan. The, the, the guard or the, the soldier coming in. Uh, what was the plan? Was the plan to just kind of like, how was he going to befriend her? Like when you come in wearing armor and brandishing a firearm, again, this doesn't build a whole lot of trust. No. Right? Another prisoner being thrown in here might've worked a little bit better, but that might've been a little too obvious because that's such a trope for such a long time. Uh, so I'm not entirely, if his plan wasn't to get beat up, I don't understand it. You're right. It It's one of those plans that relies on something happening that there's just no way of guaranteeing that'll happen. The whole plan worked because she tried to kick the crap out of him 
And then he was able to appeal to her as sort of a low level guy who didn't really know anything. And he's just trying to do his job. If she doesn't punch him and, and strangle him, then how does, how does he do that? How does he get to that point? Right? Like, how does he convince her of that? Why would he even stay there and not just drop the food off and leave? Yeah. So, right. So the plan requires him to go in there, uh, get beat up, but not killed. Even if the weapon is not loaded, as soon as she pulls the trigger, she's going to know it's a ruse. The, the weapon had a bayonet on it and I assume the bayonet was real. So she could have easily stabbed him with this when he was handcuffed, right? Stabbed him right in the goddamn face yep. where he didn't have his protective imaginary armor. And so the plan required him to get beat up, but not attacked with the weapon he brought in, in any way, shape or form, whether it's used as a blunt object or a firearm, either way, plan does not work. Right. If she does not attack him, plan does not work. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. No, I, I know. And I, th- I think we've encountered things like this before where it, for it to play out the way it does, it requires certain things to happen that are just rather unlikely. Yet they do happen anyways. And it's kind of crappy. Like it's, it's not smart writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's assuming things, uh, or it's, it's creating situations that you just need to happen to move your particular plot forward rather than realistic situations granted in a zombie show, but realistic situations that are telling the story you're trying to tell. Yeah. It's, it's a typical twist that was not set up properly. Right. So his plan makes no sense, yet it worked out for him. Um, I would say overall, I'm really middle of the road on this episode. I, I mean, maybe not even quite that much. I didn't like it that much. But having talked about it here with you, I think I've come around a little bit. Right. But I do feel weird about this one because the reasons why I, or the things that I did get out of it, and I thought were a positive are weirdly the same things that I think are a negative. Um, for, for example, princess in general, I don't feel like I am interested in her character enough to have a whole episode focus on her. And that's nothing against Paula Lazaro who plays her. I think she did some fine work here, but I just don't feel the connection to princess that I do to these other characters. And I was asking myself, why are we staying with her the whole time? Why aren't we doing this with Ezekiel or Eugene or even Yumiko? And that kind of bothered me, especially the first time I watched it. Yet on the other side of that, Jason, I think the show deserves to be commended for having the balls to give us an episode about her, <laughs> right? Being such <laughs> a new character. And frankly, yeah. showing a woman that has this traumatic past suffers from all this range of PTSD conditions and actually has to deal with it. And I think that's a great thing that the show has done. And I think they did a pretty good job portraying it. So even though I was like, why are we sticking with princess the whole time? I can commend the show for sticking with princess the whole time. I liked princess in the episodes previously, but I agree with you. I don't think that the character was able to carry the entire episode. Right. And Uh, You know, I think in the long run, this will flesh her out a bit, make her more interesting as we go. It just seemed like 
an awful lot all at once for, yeah. for her, you know? Um, so there's that. And then the other thing is these episodes, these COVID episodes that we're getting, yes, they're smaller scale. We've talked about how we need to adjust our expectations a little bit, minimal characters, all that kind of stuff. But I feel like in the three before this one, we at least got new information. It filled in some holes for characters. You know, we learned things about Daryl and his yep. relationship with Carol. Aaron and Gabe last week were, was fantastic. I thought mm -hmm. what really new information did we get in this one? Was there much, did we learn anything about, I mean, obviously the princess, you know, backstory or her mental state, but did we learn anything about the soldiers or their nope. community? Nope. Can we, we got, we got princess's backstory a little bit. One incident in her backstory, I guess that kind of informs us of, you know, an unhappy childhood kind of thing and, mm -hmm. uh, of physical abuse. Uh, but. And that's good. I mean, that's fine. Like, it's I, good. like I said a minute ago, I think this will flesh her out in the long run, but beyond that, you know, can we put any stock in that soldier saying that we are good people? This is all standard questioning. Like, can we believe any of that? Probably not. No. And then yet on the other side, at the very end, they put hoods on them. They seem to be pretty bad. Uh, they've introduced this shadowy guy at the desk. And like I said earlier, I expect him to stick around. So is that enough? Is like one quick scene at the end and a short interrogation in the middle enough new information about these people to like keep you going? I'm not sure it is, but at least it's something. So even though we didn't get anything much, we didn't get totally nothing. That guy can't stick around, that interrogator, because if he was imaginary, uh, he can't stick around. Because if he does, oh, right. uh, I'm going to shit all over the show for having him stick around. Like how did Princess know about this guy? Yeah. She doesn't know about this guy. Did she imagine somebody who's real? Like what happens there anyway? So I kind of hope he doesn't stick around and I kind of hope he does. Okay. Maybe that's why he was shadowed so much. Maybe that was our cue that he's supposed to be imaginary. Right? Yeah. So, I sure hope he's a, a one-off. Yeah. Okay. See, he, he, he can't be, he can't be real. I think you're right. I think you're right. So he, he can't stick around. So in that case, we got even less right? We got even less. All yeah. we got was they're in hoods at the end. And that seems to indicate that they're not very friendly, but ultimately we, we just don't know. Well, hoods can be a good thing, not necessarily bad, right? Because if you are taking somebody from point A to point B, uh, and you put a hood over their head because you don't not want to not want them to know where point B is, that's a good thing. Because that means going forward, I want you to not know something. If you don't put a hood on their head because you don't care if they know because you're going to kill them, that's a bad thing. So, so hood, hoods can be a good thing. So you think keeping information from them means that maybe they won't kill them later. Exactly. Okay. It's like wearing a mask. You kidnap somebody and you don't wear a mask. That's a bad sign, right? Hmm. So if you're wearing a mask, Hey, that means you're planning to let them go. I so, guess. <laughs> so it, 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 you know, it's a matter of context. I suppose. I never really thought about it that way, but okay, fine. So you put hoods on someone, it's a good sign. It means that you might actually not murder like them it later. Can, it can be, right? Yeah, fair. Like when, if you're going to the gallows, 
they put a hood over your head, right? You're not getting out of that situation. They're going to kill you, but you still have a hood over your head. It's not to protect you. It's so that they don't have to look at your goddamn face while you're being hanged. Yeah. It's so, it, it you know, they also put a, they also tie your pant legs to your, uh, to your body so that none of the poop or piss comes flying out of your pants. And <laughs> anyway, I uh, was sitting here going, is this, was he, is that what he's going to talk about? Really? <laughs> <laughs> wow. This got, this went in the direction that I wasn't really expecting and shows you how much I know about being hanged. Right. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, those are two kind of examples of me kind of looking at this episode, the same thing about it and going, all right, fine. That's a negative, but it's also sort of a positive. Um, I thought the use of the other characters was weird, but now you can explain it all because they were all imagined by princess. Uh, but the Ezekiel one felt so out of character for me at first. I was really angry watching that going, what the fuck are they doing to Ezekiel? And then I realized it wasn't him and I felt a little confused because I was both relieved that the show wasn't screwing up his character, but I was also kind of sad that it wasn't him because I really wanted that. I really wanted all the characters to play a, a meaningful part in this episode. And, uh, I guess meaningful might not be the right word because they were meaningful to princesses struggles, but I just wanted to see the real people. You know what I mean? Yeah, we had no arc for anybody except Princess. Yeah, no arc and it, for and anybody. Her, else. Even her arc was small. That's right. That's right. So, so that's that. So weird, weird episode of The Walking Dead. Uh, probably my least favorite of all of these bonus episodes so far. But what are you going to do? Um, again, I have a feeling that if this one was just maybe injected into the middle of a season somewhere and it came right after the last time we saw these characters get captured by these soldiers maybe it wouldn't have felt so out of place i don't know mm. uh, but frankly if that was the case they probably wouldn't have done this episode and it would have been something completely different probably that's the other thing so i don't know but uh any other thoughts on this before we wrap it up jason no i think we're good cool so I am very, very curious to hear what all of you guys think. Uh, did you love this one? Did you hate it? Are you somewhere in between? When did you figure out that it was all kind of in Princess's mind? And how do you feel about her character now that we had this whole episode with her? I really am interested in, in some of the responses we get. So looking forward to our feedback, feedback podcast coming in a couple of nights. And uh, please, please send in your thoughts and your comments about this one so we can get them on the show for Thursday night. How do you do that, you might ask? Well, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com. Oh, I forgot to look into the send voicemail thing. I had a busy, crappy week, so... Um, it might yeah. work. It might work. work. <laughs> it might Good work. Good luck. Uh, short, get, short messages. Sh yeah. Shorter the better, I think, maybe with that thing this week. But I promise I'll, I'll try to fix that soon or I'll do some more testing. But you can still do that. Click send voicemail on the top of the site. Send it in that way. Or even better, record it on your phone if you have a device that does such a thing. And then send it in. Uh, I mean, if you have a computer, you can get recording software on your computer and just record it. It's probably something built into your computer already that does that. So uh, I don't want to make it too hard on anyone, but there's lots of options. 
you know, you can also send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. That should be easy. You can do that. Send all the email you want. And check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. So that is going to do it. I really look forward to Thursday night's feedback show. Send all those in if you can. And until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.